0: Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 161AS82, Models and Role Models or Heroes, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 188, February 7, 1989. Otto Scott and I are now going to discuss models, role models, or heroes, you could call them, or the impact of setting standards in a society through teaching old and young about important figures who have had a powerful impact on man and society and who are to be emulated. Before going into that, let me say that uh, the word model is a peculiar word, a very important one. The uh, meaning we are giving uh, to it is that of some kind of person who sets a standard and reveals a standard in his life. However, it has another meaning, I recall a story of the foreigner who came here uh, to do some graduate work and stayed on after marrying an American girl to teach here. And in the early days, when he didn't know too many uh, of the nuances of English, he uh, was told by his wife that he was really a model husband. So he went to the dictionary to look up the word model and found that it meant a a small imitation of the real thing. (laughs) We're not talking about that kind of model. Now, when I was a boy, there were many, many books that I read that dealt with great persons in the past, exciting books, about uh, heroes of various countries, about Christian leaders. I can recall, for example, uh, one of any number of books that I read of the same sort, uh, one entitled Titus, a Soldier of the Cross, about the Titus of the Bible. I can recall very vividly reading about William Wallace, the Scottish leader, and other like books on American figures, uh, Christian figures of the past, European leaders, and so on. All these were very important when I was young in uh, giving one a, a standard, of giving one a kind of uh, a guideline as to how men had lived in terms of challenges, problems great crises, facing death, and so on. This type of thing is now increasingly disappearing from our culture and from the lives of young people. Otto, would you like to take off there on uh, that fact, or anything?
0: Well, I don't think it's disappearing so much as it's changing. Yes. Uh, the type of role model that is put up now is the revolutionary hero, uh, the social, socialist pioneer, Mm -hmm. the Che Guevara's, uh, the, the Mrs. Webb, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, Althea Gibson, rock stars, pornographic movie actors, and actresses, singers, and so forth. Figures from the world of entertainment, not figures from the world of science or industry, not the military. Military heroes have vanished.
1: Yes. Well, back in the uh, years immediately after the war, uh, there was a terminology that came in that uh, is now forgotten, but has left its impact. One South American poet wrote a volume of poetry called Anti-Poems. It was in total war against all traditional poetry. And the concept of the anti-hero also came in, so that uh, the protagonist in novels... Uh, came to be the anti-hero. Instead of someone admirable, he was someone who was a human louse.
0: Well, not so much a human louse, but a loser.
1: Or evil.
0: Well, mainly a loser. Mm -hmm. Uh, I keep running into short stories in The New Yorker when I can force myself to read them, and they never seem to get out of the kitchen or the garage. They're all tied up with minor domestic matters, and uh, he and she said this, and the cat did something else. Very tiny little uh, microcosms of life.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, also this. There is no character development in the modern novel, only action. The same is true of film car chases, dramatic action, and so on, and no character development. In fact, there's a hostility to it. I read to you yesterday something uh, from Plowshares, which is a literary journal uh, subsidized by the state of Massachusetts and the National Endowment for the Arts, a federal agency. Well... The introduction to a short story by one writer, Kathy Carr, has this to say, and I quote, Maddie, the sister-in-law in the story, was first designed as a portrait of a male relative, but changed gender as the writing progressed. Readers not privy to that kind of information might have assumed, as I would have, that if any character was first imagined as a male, it would have been the wandering Claire. This detail is but a small indication of the clear-eyed freshness that Kathy Carr brings to her original but deeply convincing material.
0: Now, after <laughs> reading that, how can you say there's no character development? <laughs> I should think that changing gender is a considerable <laughs> development.
1: Well, I defy you to read it and to be able
0: to describe anybody any, any of the characters. <laughs> Government Government-sponsored writing of fiction in the United States mm-hmm. sounds so much like the Writers' Union of the Soviet Republic... Yeah that it makes my teeth ache. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how anybody ever got the government to pay for a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. The National Endowment for the Arts ought to have its head examined.
1: Well, this is one of a number of periodicals, all equally stupid, that uh, the National Endowment, federal funds, uh, make possible. What for? Yes, a good question. But if they had a meaning such as we believe in,
0: they would not get the subsidies. If it's the, they, they wouldn't subsidize a Christian writer. You oh, no. to make a Christian point, because that would be what, violating the First Amendment? Yes,
1: it's the anti-hero, the anti-poem, the anti-traditional story well, that it, uh, appeals.
0: The term anti-hero really began, I think, I'm not too sure about it, but I really think it began... As the protagonist who was against tradition and against the traditional role of the hero, Mm -hmm. much as there was an argument some years back saying that men ought to be able to cry because it would help them to become more human. Now, I haven't cried since I was five years old, and I can't, uh, although lots of sad things have happened to me in the course of my life. None of them have ever brought me to tears uh, because I just wasn't raised to that sort of tradition,
1: or didn't like your
0: Irish. <laughs> it's not. It's not part of the. Uh, not part of my psyche. Uh-huh. Uh, I can feel sad, but I don't weep. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying that uh, there's anything wrong with weeping. It's fine. Uh, if, if it gives relief, that's all right. That's the other fellow's business. But the whole business of behaving in a masculine manner has lost its definition in this country. The same thing is true, of course, of femininity, of what constitutes a woman. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I remember talking to, of all people, the Commissioner of Corrections in Mm -hmm. New York City, who was a woman, a Jewish woman, very interesting, and one of her comments, this was about 20 years ago, was that American women were no longer taking care of men, were no longer kind to men. And this was a, it was a very interesting observation. I can't think of her name offhand, but she was uh, a politician, had worked uh, with Al Smith when he was governor of New York, <clears throat> and was Commissioner of Corrections and it was one of her last jobs. It was a very good job and a very good commissioner. Now, she and I shared, of course, and you too, uh, a certain attitude. And I suppose we are much more creatures of our time and our generation than we ordinarily like to believe because we grow up surrounded by certain yardsticks, certain road signs, certain totems, certain directions. And then... If we live long enough, we find ourselves in a new part of the map where the signs are all changed. The directions are different. This is what we're really confronted with. Where a comedian working for Tom Lipscomb, or uh, one of the authors that Tom printed when he printed me, uh, with his uh, early publishing company, uh, wrote a book about George Washington's expense account. Now a I don't horrible th- book. I, yes, I don't it's th- honest. Yes, and I don't think this comedian ever realized that George Washington was paid in continental dollars mm-hmm. which were depreciating dollars. Mm-hmm. So that you had to have fifteen or twenty times as many to recompense you for an earlier expenditure. Mm-hmm. He took this as the surface figure as an effort to prove that George Washington was a dishonest man. Yes. Now, of course, if I were to write a book about some other great statesman of another culture or country in the same terms, I'd be considered prejudiced. But I guess writing Mm -hmm. a book against George Washington means that you're broad-minded.
1: Yes. I uh, read that book very carefully. And, of course, from beginning to end, he treated Washington with disrespect and contempt as a man who did nothing but pad his expense accounts. And on the concluding page, he had a vague reference to the fact that we really don't know how much the Continental dollars were worth. Well, it wouldn't have taken more than a slight amount of study on his part to find out that they were worthless and that Washington was losing money steadily. He took no pay. He only asked for expenses, and was not really getting them. He was getting a lot of worthless paper.
0: Yes. This was why the soldiers at Valley Forge were starving. Yes. Because they had worthless continental dollars, while the Hessians had gold coins with which to buy their food from the farmers. That simple fact is never taught. Yeah. And the fact that Washington, the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest men in the colonies, put his fortune at risk. It was totally ignored. Uh, the things that are ignored in this area is very interesting. When you and I were in England together, I picked up one of the English papers, and I saw a description in there of Our Stars and Stripes, which came from the coat of arms of the Washington family in Britain. It didn't come from uh, Barbara Fritchie at all.
1: Uh, I mean uh, Betsy Ross?
0: Betsy Ross. Yes. Yes. No, it didn't. Mm-hmm. So... But Washington remains a vague figure in this century. In the 19th century, he was held very high.
1: Yes, and everything is done to uh, try to show that he was really not a Christian. Uh, Nothing said about the fact that uh, he normally refused to to receive visitors uh, on Sundays and gave himself to prayer and some fasting, or that uh, he had a standing order as uh, commander both in the French and Indian War and the War of Independence that any man who took the Lord's name in vain was to receive forty lashes because uh, they uh, the... Uh, American troops needed the Lord's blessing, not his judgment.
0: Well, now, that was the city ordinance and the town ordinance all through the United States up to the 1840s. The gold rush broke the pattern. They came back from the gold rush blasphemous, and from then on it became increasingly blasphemous. But up until then, blasphemy was an offense against the community, and it was punishable by jail or by fine. And one of the things that really gets me is that the Western movie is now portraying the Americans of the 19th century as rapists, as perverts, as thieves, as murderers, etc., when this was not the case. Our history is being trashed by individuals who are out to do us in. Yes, uh, there was an
1: interesting thing written some time back by one man who was uh, very knowledgeable in the history of the West. And it was about High Noon, Gary Cooper and High Noon, and how everyone deserted him, no one would stand against him, against the three killers who were coming back to get him. And he said... That was a modern story, applying to our time, because in that time, every good man in the community would have been there with his gun. And Uh, a rope. Yes. And he said, uh, we have falsified the history of the past by projecting our own immoral and cowardly perspectives on people of the last century.
0: Well, it's very true. And if you look at the daguerreotypes of the faces of the last century, you'll notice a difference in the face. Yes. They look differently than the men of today.
1: Yes. When
0: we make a Western movie today, the actors do not look as they did a century or more ago. Their faces are too soft, Mm -hmm. or else their faces are too lined and corrupt. They don't have that clean raw-boned look, Mm -hmm. that look that my grandfather McGivney had, that I remember from my early childhood. He worked in the brickyards. They made brick. He worked very hard, and there wasn't any spare flesh on him.
1: Well, the uh, West, as you see it in the films and on television, is nothing like the real West they talk about Dodge City and uh, write about it and Abilene and Tombstone, as though these were wild cities that continued wild indefinitely. They were rarely the wild cities depicted for more than a year, because by the end of that time, the churches with the women and the businessmen had cleaned up the city and compelled the hoodlums to uh,
0: leave. And the clergy, and the judge, Mm -hmm. and the law. Mm -hmm. Even uh, the law west of the Picos, Judge Roy Bean, that they make so much fun about, was law. Mm -hmm. Men were hanged. Yes. For crime.
1: The only place where you had a continuing problem was in one or two places, notably San Francisco, where... You had a port city, and uh, with the wealth, you had uh, the Sydney Ducks, a particularly vicious group, coming in, and Seattle for a time. Both places as a jumping off point for the gold rush in Alaska. But uh, okay.
0: those were the exception. You had the Five Corners in New York City, where the Irish gangs kept the law out, and so forth. It was dangerous to go in didn't last too long. No. But going back to the heroes, who were your heroes when you were a boy? Well, they
1: were some of the great figures of Scripture. Uh, They were George Washington. Uh, They were men like uh, Wallace of Scotland. They were a number of the notable figures of history, and uh, the number of books, that were available then to uh, boys was Legion. There was one writer, Henty. Do you remember Henty? Oh, very much. Captain Marriott. Yes. Oh, sure. Uh, His books were marvelous in that for a generation or
0: more they had a profound effect on boys. Well, we had all English literature, if Mm -hmm. you recall. Oh, yes. And and the the great heroes of... of, uh, the British Isles, Sir Walter Raleigh Mm -hmm. and the rest. And when I go by a handful, or used to go by, and see a handful of adolescents crooning together on the corner today, I know that their heroes are rock stars. Yes. What a difference. What a difference. We read about West Point. Yes. We read about people who gave their lives for their country. Well... I read,
1: and others that I went to school with, it was nothing exceptional, uh, book after book by Sir Walter Scott, James Fenimore Cooper, and a number of other writers. Uh, of course, also uh, uh, Washington Irving.
0: Yes. Uh, I like The Spy. and. The others. Well, we read the same books. You and I have gone yes. through this. And We've
1: Dickens, of course. We read
0: the same books, and Dickens was interesting because he had villains and he had heroes. Yes. And the English are unique in this sense that they manage to keep their villains human even while being villainous. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: in uh, grade school, I also read, in fact, we
0: studied Shakespeare. Yes. I don't know whether they study Shakespeare anymore. I doubt it. Uh, We studied, I remember, The Merchant of Venice uh, and several others. I used to know long
1: passages of Macbeth by heart and also Julius Caesar.
0: Well, of course, that brings in Plutarch and the... In our time, Churchill assumed heroic stature. Yes. And... Yet, I can think of very few other figures. There has been a steady diminution, Uh, a steady shrinkage. There's almost an argument now that there is no such thing as a hero because the most modern biographies now delve into the sexual side of the subject. Mm -hmm. This is the only thing they've got to add. There's no new information otherwise. But that... Provides a salacious interest which then makes for a sale. And yet this is the one area that is nobody's business except God's. There is a sort of a breakdown also, of the whole idea of privacy. Yes,
1: also, a lot of what they write, uh, if it's a great and noble figure,
0: is conjecture. Well, it's... An, uh, evil conjecture. Yes. I remember reviewing a book on William Pitt the Younger when I was reviewing books for the uh, San Diego Union and the L.A. Times. And one of my acquaintances said, I read your review of William Pitt the Younger, and from what I can gather, he had no sex life whatever, and I said, why do you care?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well... We live in an age when even the sex life of the earthworm is the subject of monographs.
0: (laughs) Apparently so. (laughs) But it brings up the question of the hero. Now, the popular heroes include criminals. Uh, Turpin, the uh, road, the highwayman of England, for instance.
1: Billy the Kid. And and Billy
0: the Kid here. And Dillinger. Yes was a hero to many when he was alive, and Pretty Boy Floyd. The gangsters of the 30s were portrayed in the films as heroes. Remember the uh, William G. Robinson, Edward, whatever his name was, I've forgotten now, in Little Caesar.
1: Well, uh, one of the most popular films of the 30s was 42nd Street, and the theme song... uh, had uh, a line in it there side by side uh, uh, well something about where the elite and the underworld meet that was glorified because it was something marvelous and democratic in that the elite and the criminal element were meeting there in the nightlife of 42nd street
0: well, of course, this then moved into something else. Uh, it moved into the, in the post-war period, uh, post-World War II period, it moved into the revolutionists as heroes. Yes. Che Guevara, Castro, yes. Mao Zedong, Tung, En Lai, uh, <coughs> Lenin, mm-hmm. of course, for many long before that. And I suppose, for some, Danny Ortega and the Sandinistas. Yes. Power at the end of a gun. Or the terrorist groups are heroes to the ones who send them out. The Arabs have their heroes in terms of the fighters against Israel. And vice versa. The Stern gang and so forth were heroes to the Israelis. So we have something else. We have the murderer as hero because the essence of terror, terrorism, political terrorism in the modern sense, is somebody who kills innocent and unarmed people. Yes. And that is, of course, murder. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument is that they are not heroes, of course, because the ones that are on the other side are not heroes. Well... But the... Uh, the The people in South Africa that are killing, tire-burning and so forth, are heroes to some, Mm -hmm. are being held aloft as heroes to the black community of the United States.
1: Well, life has become very cheap. The average child, by the time he or she finishes school, has witnessed on television and on the films thousands upon thousands of murders on the screen and has become calloused to the entire subject of murder. And uh, they have rarely ever seen anything of men of greatness, of character, of faith to emulate.
0: Well, it's interesting because if you cannot see virtue triumphant Mm -hmm. You don't believe in
1: it. Yes. Otto, that point you just made is very important. We are no longer giving our children, or adults for that matter, any depiction of virtue triumphant or virtue as worth triumphing. And the implications of that for our culture are devastating.
0: Well, virtue has been diminished to the single point of anti-racism. That comprises all now that is called virtue. But there is a great deal more to virtue than that. There is the whole question of standing up, mm-hmm. of being truthful, of being honest, of fulfilling one's obligations, of protecting the week of defending people against injustice. There's all sorts of variations of virtue. Now virtue has become a matter of opinions, as we said once before, to have the right opinions. But these opinions are uh, very often moot. I remember a friend of mine in New York who asked me, what is a good man? And I said, "Uh, I don't know. What? He said, a man who does good. I said, how does he know? Because, you know, a lot of things that we do with the best of intentions don't come out Mm -hmm. the way we intend. The best we can say is that we try to do what is right. Mm -hmm.
1: A few years ago, an educator in New Jersey uh, dealt with the subject of role models in education. And he referred to uh, the book which, throughout the 70s, was very influential and used in high schools across the country, The Naked Ape. Oh, yes. And he said, we have uh, given our youth the worst possible role model. We have told them that they are a naked ape, essentially. And should we be surprised at the way they have acted? Of course, evolution has done that. It, in effect, denies the uh, nature of man as a a creation of God. It denies his destiny. It reduces him to a naked ape, and therefore, with that doctrine, there is a progressive uh,
0: deterioration
1: of the behavior of
0: each generation? Well, the argument, of course, is that we are creatures of instinct. There is a biological determinism, so to speak. Yes. Darwin opened the gates of uh, racism when he talked about the superiority of certain races and the struggle for existence. And yet the individuals who pride themselves on being anti-racist also pride themselves on their worship of Darwin. hmm We have here, but if you don't ever as a boy see fully grown men doing the right thing and winning, you don't know what it is. I think of the children in the inner city whose role models are pimps and drug dealers and robbers and muggers. Yes. Like the fellow in the pool hall who talks about a big score and doesn't realize that it's the man sitting in the bank who is making the money, the man who is sitting at the top of a corporation that he has struggled for many years to attain to who is making the money, that honesty not only pays, but it pays tremendous dividends. Mm -hmm. This is never said. No. We have movies now, The Pink Panther, which is a very funny movie, of course, but there's no moral. Mm -hmm. If there's no moral, there's no purpose. Mm -hmm. And if there's no purpose, then you're at the mercy of the wind.
1: Yes. Well, if there's no purpose in the universe for these people, how can they have purpose in their novels, stories, poems, films, or anything?
0: Well, there seem to be writing... For the idea of convincing you that this is hell. There is a cartoonist, you know, who is now drawing cartoons titled Life in Hell. Oh, I haven't seen
1: that. Well, they're
0: very funny. I, I just saw one of his larger panels recently, and it has elder sister talking to younger sister saying, You know absolutely nothing, and I know everything. <laughs> and it goes on from there. <laughs> Now, this is a complete switch. Yes. In something like, I'd say, two generations, maybe a generation and a half, our entire intellectual attention has been taken away from what is positive and what is beneficial to what is wrong, what is bad, and what is destructive.
1: Well, one of the things that Darwinism uh, did was to overthrow the old Christian concept of the ultimate harmony of all interests because God created all things and all things are going to serve his purpose. In its place, you had the struggle for survival, nature red in tooth and claw, the ultimate conflict of interests,
0: Right. The so class, this is why, this is why Marx loved him so much. The class, oh yes. the class struggle was given a biological and scientific uh, seal of approval. That's why he
1: wrote to him and wanted to dedicate uh, his next book to him, because, as he told uh, Engels, "We will triumph now because here is the biological basis for our theory." Well, with this concept of the conflict of interest, one of the things it did to the family a very devastating thing was to replace the idea of the family and the kin as a unity as a fraternity of love with sibling rivalry very like a modern concept the idea that uh, brothers and uh, sisters or brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters are always going to be in conflict.
0: Now, I heard that discussed just the other day by Anne Merton, who has been handling so many foster children so successfully, and she said she had to attend a foster parents class. And one of the questions that arose was whether sibling rivalry is inevitable or not. And Anne said, ugly behavior is ugly behavior under any term.
1: Well, they have educated a generation into this so that you actually find, as I have occasionally, people who are only going to have one child because they're going to avoid the problem of
0: sibling rivalry. That's the environmental uh, solution. You change the environment. You see them; they don't have any siblings.
1: (laughs) Well, the old... Sense of family is gone with many people. Well,
0: it's very difficult to retain the family when the family is the object of persecution by the state and most of the institutions of society. All that I could gather as a parent that remained to me was my obligations. I had no particular authority. But I had to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And I had to be responsible. Otherwise, speaking as a, as a father, I had no authority particularly at all. Well, I
1: remember a few years ago, uh, i have forgotten the name of the person, uh, someone who was a very uh, old-fashioned uh, rural person speaking about uh, a relative and they were going to have to do something for this relative and I said, but you don't like him. And he's a stinker. And his response was, But he's my cousin. Yes. And I have a responsibility. Yes. Now that's yes. gone for the most part. It's not the common perspective any longer.
0: Well, all right, we go back to the hero. Let's go back to the mm-hmm. hero. Very seldom do you read any famous novels like Sorrel and Son mm-hmm. by Warwick Deeping. Do you remember that?
1: Vaguely, yes.
0: Well, it was an interesting novel because Sorrow was an army officer whose wife left him at the end of World War I and he couldn't find a job in civilian life commensurate with his background. So he went to work as a porter in a hotel carrying the luggage. And he remained... He finally worked himself up to head porter. And he remained in that humble post for a number of years and he sent his only son to medical school. And just about the time that his son got through as a physician and was beginning to practice, sorrow died. That's the outline of the plot. But what it is is a story of a good man Mm -hmm. who led a good life and who raised a good son. I doubt if that sort of a story could make it again. But it was yes. a bestseller in its
1: day. Yes, and in that era and before, even the non-Christians still maintained something of uh, character. Right. He had a Christian background, and oh, it yes. showed.
0: It was taken as for granted that this was a Christian thing.
1: Yes. I recall uh, I read a lot of H.G. Wells. And H.G. Wells was a socialist and he was anti-Christian. And yet, in the early pages of one of his novels, uh, he set the temper. And it was with one sentence. And it was this. I've never forgotten it. Brave men do... Brave men are men who do the things they are afraid to do. Now, that kind of perspective was once commonplace. Here was a man who was going to face all kinds of problems, all kinds of conflicts that were going to fill him with fear, but he was going to meet them. He was going to triumph in the face of them. He was going
0: to rise to the challenge. Yes. He was going to overcome the temptation. He was going to act as though he had faith. Mm-hmm wasn't going to give way to his weaknesses and so forth in any area no. and this of course is has always been the great theme of literature yes. and the great purpose of life every man's life becomes evident the purpose the meaning significance of every life becomes immediately apparent when he dies the minute he dies mm-hmm. but not until then and it's a very interesting thing because I've had a number of friends die as you have and you suddenly become aware of what he was, who he was, what he did, what he stood for, when he dies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's the time of judgment. Mm-hmm. Until he dies. What was it the Greeks said? Count no man happy while he yet lives. Because until he dies, you don't really know. There may be another challenge. There's always another challenge. The challenge has never stopped. This is what I got out of my early days, early reading days, and the hints that my father used to drop. He was a great man for giving you cues. He never gave you a lecture. He gave you a cue. And if you carried that around, chewed on that for a while. I don't really know how young boys are growing into men today because when I was a boy and when you were a boy, we had large areas of freedom in which we measured one another, we competed with one another, we learned from the other fellow what was the right and the wrong thing to do. Now that the children are no longer safe outside of the home, now that they can't go anywhere on their own, that they're monitored from morning till night by adults, it seems to me that the parent is faced with the burden of what the world used to help teach. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, basic to good literature as well as to life over the generations has been the fact that history as well as stories represent a conflict between good and evil. Always. But what it has... uh, Become in recent years is not the conflict between good and evil but a conflict between freedom and unfreedom. You're going to throw off restraints. You're going
0: to be yourself. No, I wouldn't say that. I think what people are being taught now is that they cannot be themselves. They must be what they're supposed to be according to the ruling liberal ethos.
1: Well, in that sense, being yourself in terms of the standards set by the ethos. Obey. Yes.
0: Right now, it isn't be yourself, it is obey. Mm -hmm. You have no right of selective association. You know, uh, somebody told me they went in a store in Connecticut and there was a sign up in the store that said discrimination is against the law. And I said, well, yes. Yes. But one of the definitions of discrimination is choice. Mm -hmm. Is choice against the law?
1: Increasingly,
0: yes. Yes, it is. So we have something else. We don't have freedom. Freedom is a word that I think has been dropped from the lexicon.
1: Only... In the sense of freedom from morality, freedom from the
0: past, freedom from Christianity. Well, you're free of Christianity. Well, of course, you're always free of Christianity, if you wanted to be. The church never pursued you.
1: Well, they mean by freedom that uh, you're spared the sight of a crash at Christmas, spared the hearing of uh, carols. Uh, Spared hearing church bells because they're banned in some communities. Noise
0: pollution. Yes. Spared any number of things that might confront you with the faith. Well, of course, I suppose one of the things about the hero... Now, we have ethnic heroes at the expense of more traditional heroes. Yes. Is this a form of racism?
1: It is, I believe the fact that uh, someone like uh, Dr. George Washington Carver is forgotten now, whereas not too many years ago there were books for children and adults about him. Yes. And about all his remarkable contributions. But he was not interested in the Civil Rights Revolution. He was effecting his
0: own revolution. So Martin Luther King is now the hero. Well, his holiday is celebrated and Washington's is not. Washington's birthday is not celebrated today. We have President's Day instead, Mm -hmm. but we have a separate day for Martin Luther King, so he has displaced George Washington as an American hero. Mm -hmm. By act of Congress, not by popular demand. Well, of course, the matter was not put to a vote. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, there is no real uh, enthusiasm. The media promotes it heavily every year. But I've never seen, either on the part of liberals or conservatives, of course, any real enthusiasm for Martin Luther King's day.
0: There's a sort of a flatness that is emerging here. Yes. Uh, Something like the, you know, that it was one of the commissars in Russia who decided that the country could not live without a religion. Hmm. And therefore he decided to make a religion out of communism and a god out of Lenin. And he organized this around Lenin's death, around Lenin's tomb, around the mummy that they created of Lenin's cadaver. And then the banners going down the street on May Day and so forth carrying the great icons of the revolutionary gods. And... It lasted for quite a while. I don't know how it's doing today, but they had almost around-the-clock pilgrimages to Lenin's tomb. Well, uh, years ago, before uh,
1: World War II, uh, there were certain holidays that had uh, community observances that were very important and you just felt that it was morally wrong not to turn out. They were Memorial Day, the 4th of July. Um, And, of course, uh, the parades, the public observances, the religious activities on those days were considerable. And Arbor Day was uh, another day when you thought about the future, and those days uh, the planting of trees was a national thing on Arbor Day. Well, today we talk a great deal about conservation, but it's talk. Arbor Day was a practical thing. So there have been dramatic changes. We have become an era where paper affirmations have replaced the living realities.
0: Well, of course, if you do this, if you set up sawdust figures imposed upon the people, which is what the French Revolution did. You remember they set up a whole series of artificial state-declared festivals. Yes. The Festival of the Harvest and the Festival of Other Things. They had very fancy poetic names. Culminating in the great festival to the supreme being headed by Robespierre. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was his last great public appearance. He had his clothes specially made for the purpose and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that this crazy woman claimed that she had been impregnated by Robespierre at a distance because he was God and she was the new Virgin Mary. <laughs> yes. And everybody began to laugh. <laughs> and the... the ridiculousness of the thing because she was a horrible old hag (laughs) and the ridiculousness of it began to shatter his great reputation ridicule they began to laugh yes well nobody is laughing here but you know we're seeing an awful lot of mock heroism and mock festivals now all our holidays are on three day holidays Mm -hmm. The calendar has been wiped out. Yes. The government has decided in its great wisdom that all holidays are going to run from Friday to mm-hmm. through Sunday.
1: Cool. What we need is more laughter at uh, Washington and the state capitals, the politicians, because uh, they are the gods of our society. I'm glad to see some of it coming in. I told you about the bumper sticker I saw recently. Which read, Don't steal. The government doesn't like the competition.
0: (laughs) Bumper sticker like graffiti are very, very, uh, very pertinent, very revealing. Yes. (laughs) Well, I
1: think what we are going to see in the days ahead is a return to an older and a more godly perspective, much more so than we've ever seen. We are seeing Christian men take a stand here and abroad. I was startled, and I won't attempt to reproduce anything about the number of Christians who are dying for the faith every day somewhere in the world a considerable number Africa and Asia and elsewhere and men going to prison in this country from time to time for their faith because of their homeschooling or their church or their Christian school so this is godly heroism it is a manifestation of a faith that uh, will not buckle under the threat of tyranny.
0: Well, I can't forget what Macaulay said about the real faith. He said, people who are part of an unpopular movement have real faith. When that movement becomes popular, all sorts of frauds join. Yes. Then, he said, it loses its essence. And I would say that to be... Uh, a Christian in the United States today and to run the penalties that this implies. I have to smile, really, when I read about these individuals who say that they were discriminated against as children. I was raised in New York, and I never saw any of those discriminatory practices that I read about. None of my friends ever took part in such behavior or even express such attitudes. But I can say as a Christian later, working in New York, I encountered discrimination of the most yes. brutal sort. Yes. I know exactly what it tastes like and what it feels like to be on the receiving end. And I do not like those who take a noble position while they're kicking me. Yes. that's especially
1: uh, irritating because... These people are perhaps the most notable Pharisees of all history. They uh, hold a position which uh, is pure verbalism and which rules out of court anyone who dissents with them. They are the truth incarnate, and their position represents virtue. Well, our time is... uh, Nearing an end, do you have a final statement, Otto,
0: before we conclude? Well, I'd say that since we started with heroism and role models, there's lots of heroes in the Christian side of the fence, and I think it would be a good thing for us to begin to honor and recognize those whom we admire of our faith.
1: Very well said. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by
1: ChristRules.com.